Most people who graduate law school go on to become lawyers. David Schwartz did just that. After graduating from the University of Miami Law School, David became a successful entertainment attorney, an occupation he still holds today. But David never gave up on his love of comics and writing, and in 2006, he took up a second career. David, along with artist Sean Wang, created Meltdown, a critically acclaimed comic about a young man who discovers that his own superpowers are killing it, and it was subsequently selected to numerous annual top 10 lists for both 2006 and 2007. David has gone on to form a relationship with Aspen Comics and has written for Fathom and the shrugged spin-off Ember. His latest creator-owned project, Idolized, is described as a superhero version of American Idol, with a little true grit thrown in for good measure. We chat with David about how he got started in comics, developing creator-owned books, and where the idea for Idolized came from. All that and more on the Scripts and Scribes podcast, right now. Welcome to Scripts and Scribes. I'm your host, Kevin Fukunaga, and today we're talking with idolized creator David Schwartz. Uh, thanks for joining us today, David. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Um, now, for those who don't know, you've got two careers going at the same time. And when I say careers, I don't mean you write comics and have a side job. In addition to being a comic book writer, you're also an entertainment attorney. Um, so first, That's right. First off, how did you get into comic book writing? And second, how do you make it work sort of scheduling wise? Because I, I, I know that many aspiring comic creators uh, need to have two jobs. Um, and I'd love to get some insight from you on how a pro like you is able to maintain two careers, I mean, full careers uh, at the level you are. Uh, not very well is the answer, I think. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that, those, are, those are both great questions. So how did I end up working in comics? Mm-hmm. Um, I had been reading comics and, and collecting them since I was a kid. And uh, by the time I graduated from high school, I, I think I probably had at least 30 long boxes filled with them. Um, and so, you know, it, it's certainly a medium that I always loved. When I was in college, uh, my first year, I went and interned at Marvel um, and got some experience there and learned a lot more about storytelling within that medium. And, uh, and uh, after college, uh, as I was between college and law school, and then again after law school, I got to do some writing for film and television. I wrote for uh, a syndicated sketch comedy TV series that was mostly on UPN stations across the country. That was the launch group for the series um, called The News, N-E-W-Z. Uh, and I wrote a, a little indie feature film that got produced um, and that was all great, but it also wasn't taking off, um, you know, quite as, you know, so quickly that uh, that it would be a, a primary career for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I thought, you know, uh, if I really want to be able to have the opportunity to write more and to write things that I love and always have loved, maybe I should look at the comic book industry as well and not just focus on, on film and television. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I went down to Comic-Con back in the days when, you know, you could actually move around the aisles and actually talk to people. Um, and I was lucky enough to be able to have conversations with a number of different publishers and, and editors. And uh, the, uh, the the gentleman who was then heading up uh, uh, operations for Image uh, chatted with me for a while, and he invited me to send him some pitches, which I did. And uh, the one that he really gravitated towards was uh, the one that eventually became Meltdown. Originally, it was called Last Days of the Flare. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and he said, let's go ahead and do this. And it took a little while before I was able to, uh, to get deals with uh, my artists put in place and, uh, and went through a few different you know, potential people working on it before we finally locked in on our team and, uh, and got it completed and, and published. Um, in terms of how I go about juggling, um, right. family and, and two jobs. Right. Um, I, I just don't sleep pretty much. <laughs> um, I, you know, it used to be that I, I could be really productive if I woke up early in the morning, like 4 a.m. Right. And and uh, and really dig into things for a few hours before my daughter would wake up and uh, and I would need to start, you know, jumping into the day and uh, and getting ready for work and whatnot. Um, now, I don't know, maybe I'm getting old, but it's a little bit harder for me to uh, to be productive that early. So I, I find that uh, I really need to carve out time on the weekends 
um, and and sometimes at lunch during the week when I can really sit down and, and focus and uh, and work on um, generating some uh, some comic scripts and concepts and uh, and what have you. Um, but I still find that that morning time I can I can get a lot of the uh, related work on on my comic book projects done. You know things like um, promotions and marketing and, and things of that nature that I also help out with. Um, you know reviewing pages, uh, providing comments, things of that nature. I, I can still push myself to do even right. if it's uh, even if it's early in the a.m. Right. Um, but you know it just comes to the to the fact that. You know, if you want something enough and you care about it enough, you just figure out a way and you make time. Um, and uh, and so it's not always the easiest thing. And sometimes I walk around like a, a zombie by the time it hits <laughs> eight or nine o'clock at night. Um, but uh, but you know, you make it work. Right, right, that's great. Um, now speaking about meltdown. Um, it was on numerous top 10 lists for both 2006 and 2007. Um, did you know how good Meltdown was and how well it would be received? Because uh, was it intentional to receive it, to, to submit it, excuse me, uh, uh, release it on December 2006 and January 2007, so it would be on both uh, years' top 10 lists? Was that, uh, or is that purely serendipitous? Well, first of all, let me say how much I love that question. <laughs> it's the greatest question I think I've ever been asked. Um, but uh, and I would love to be able to say that yes, it was all a maniacal plan that I had that that I knew that that meltdown would be very well received and that uh, that it would be on top ten lists and uh, and in two years no less. But but no, the fact of the matter is that you know I, I hoped it would be well received. Um, I certainly tried to to put a lot of myself into it and and to uh, to really create a work that that I would want to read and that that uh, that had a lot of hopefully heart to it. Right. Um, but whether people would, would connect to it or not, and whether it would uh, whether anyone would even actually buy it or read it or not, you know, I had no idea. I, I was a complete unknown. My artist was a, a relatively unknown artist. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was a it was a book that had a kind of a high cover price because we did it in prestige format issues. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't know whether anyone would even read the thing, much less whether it would get onto top ten lists. Um, and so, um, you know, certainly I wasn't planning the scheduling based on uh, <laughs> based on the idea of being able to cross over into two years top ten lists, much less a single years. Right. Um, it, it was sort of just, uh, I guess, just serendipity that it worked out that way. Very cool. Um, now, it, obviously, Meltdown had amazing reviews across the board. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how the idea for Meltdown came about? Sure. Um, it basically started when uh, I was working on a pitch for uh, Sunfire. Okay. Um, a buddy of mine who, who was an artist um, wanted to draw Sunfire and... Uh, um, he had been doing some work with Marvel at that point, and he had the opportunity to pitch some ideas to them um, for things that he wanted to work on. And uh, so uh, he came to me, and, and he knew that I'd been doing some film and TV writing, and said, "Hey, do you have any ideas for Sunfire? Maybe you could be the writer, I could be the artist, and we could we could bring it to to Marvel as a package." Um, and so um, I was thinking about Sunfire and uh, um, the fact that he's sort of an angry character. And I thought, you know, uh, I don't know if this was intentional or not, but that sort of goes with the idea that he's, you know, fiery. Right. right? <laughs> um, and, and I wondered if, you know, the fact that um, his body temperature was probably so high and that he actually had this fire that was a part of his, you know, physical being mm-hmm. was affecting his mental being as well. And then I sort of extrapolated what would happen if that got out of control. Right. Uh, and when it started, you know, burning the character up, sort of like a, a cancer would, um, you know, where you have things in your body that are growing out of control and that are sort of eating you up from the inside, um, both emotionally and physically. And, uh, you know, obviously it never ended up becoming a, a Sunfire story, but I still love the concept um, of a character who has this power, which you think would be a wonderful thing, um, but it ends up actually uh, overpowering him and uh, taking him off of, of sort of his intended path in life. And um, and so I decided to take that and, and try and launch it as its own standalone character and standalone story. And uh, and that's what ended up 
uh, mutating, uh, no pun intended, into meltdown. <laughs> right, right. Um, now, your forthcoming title, Idolized, uh, with art by Micah Gunnell from Aspen Comics, um, is well, described as sort of American Idol meets True Grit, um, and it's about a, a girl with superpowers who has a dark past and seeks revenge, uh, but ultimately finds redemption while competing on a, a, a televised superhero competition show. Now, yep. pop music performance shows like American Idol and sort of coming-of-age revenge westerns like True Grit aren't things sort of generally associated with one another. Um, can you tell me a little bit about Idolized, you know, the synopsis and tone of it, and sort of why you wanted to tell the story in this way, uh, when it could easily have gone in toward, you know, sort of a... a, 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 a a more lighthearted, fun way, like uh, an American Idol, and yet you went sort of the opposite direction. Yeah, well, you know, it certainly is going to have its lighthearted, fun moments to an mm -hmm. extent. I mean, even, you know, if, uh, if you happen to read Meltdown, um, one of the things that, I, that I'm proud of in there is that, uh, you know, even though overall it's a, it's a, a fairly dark story, mm -hmm. it's still a story that has, um, you know, a, a, some good humorous moments in it, I think. Um, and uh, and also sort of a ray of hope to it, um, mm -hmm. despite the darkness. And that's you know to some extent I, I think that's my my style my mo. Um, and I, I, you'll see a lot of that in Idolized as well. Um, you know it is sort of to, to a large extent uh, uh, the story of a, a fairly dark character. Um, mm -hmm. But I don't want to tell a, a story or, or put you know, my time and energy into a book or a series, uh, if, it, if it doesn't have some kind of, um, a few lighthearted moments to it, and then also some kind of ray of hope at the end, some kind of arc that the character goes through where there's actually a lesson learned and, and some potential, you know, light at the end of the tunnel. Mm -hmm. um, and and how, I, how I sort of came upon this specific story for Idolize is, um, sort of two pieces. The first one is my wife and I were watching American Idol mm -hmm. and, you know, you, you watch these uh, initial audition rounds and you see the, the, the folks who are auditioning and, and just the incredible outpouring of emotion if they get a golden ticket or if they don't, um, you know, I mean, it, it, it's like their entire lives, their entire futures, you know, the entire course that their, that their days and years ahead may take is entirely dependent on the, the three minutes or five minutes that they get in front of these cameras. And it can make or break their lives. Mm -hmm. And the level of human drama that's sort of inherent in that situation is massive. Um, and, and I mean, I, I think to some extent it's become a bit of, of a joke almost. Um, and doing a, a movie or, or a comic or anything else about a reality TV show has, you know, I, I think that, you know, if you just said that in a vacuum, folks would, would kind of, uh, kind of, you know, uh, laugh it off a little bit. But, you know, I think that there really is drama there to be mined if it's done the right way. Sure. And if you're focusing on the character and what the character is actually going through. Um, and, um, and so that, that's, I started thinking about that and what kind of story I could tell within that landscape that would be relevant and that would have depth and meaning to it. Um, and around the same time, I saw True Grit. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and I was just sort of thinking about this girl who had probably had so much hope and promise in her life before her father had been killed. Mm -hmm. And once it happened, she, she let herself sort of devolve into this state where the only thing that mattered to her anymore was getting revenge. Um, and, you know, it seemed like she almost, um, it, she, she bit off her nose to spite her face. Right. Um, forgive me for using the cliche, but she was so intent on revenge that it ended up costing her everything. It cost her the people who ended up mattering to her. It cost her her arm. Um, and so, I, you know, I, I, I wanted to, um, or I was interested in, telling a story like that, but seeing if, you know, we could do it a, uh, in a way where the character perhaps did end up learning her lesson and did end up um, having to actually look at this choice she had made and is forced to look at it and consider whether maybe there's another way, another path beyond just the anger and just falling deeper and deeper into that abyss. 
of despair and desperation for revenge. And so I ended up sort of combining the two and saying, you know, I think that it would be really interesting to see this character um, who is so desperate for revenge sort of utilizing this show, not for the same reasons that the others are, but because she thinks that it may actually give her a path to acquiring the revenge that she wants. And then when she's actually faced with it and faced with the choice of um, going down a, a path that leads, um, you know, forgive another cliche, but to the dark side, um, or, or, you know, perhaps choosing a better path and actually becoming someone who is truly heroic and who's not just playing heroic in order to win a competition could be a, a really interesting story to see play out. Right. Now, it seems like there's a lot to mine in this story, a lot of ideas, a lot of backstory. Um, how many issues is this going to be? Is it going to be a monthly or is this going to be a limited series? Uh, so the, the Aspen likes to do things in volumes. Sure. Um, you know, they, they've done that historically with Fathom and Soulfire mm-hmm. and everything else. Um, and uh, so this one is going to be no different than that. The first volume is going to be uh, either six or seven issues. Okay. Um, it's going to be a zero issue and then one through five or one through six. Uh, and assuming that uh, the, the series sells well, which we certainly hope it will, um, that would lead into a second volume that would, uh, that would launch next year. Gotcha. And how much have you well, plotted ahead? Oh, go ahead. Well, we've already actually got uh, some concepts for, the, for that next volume that, oh, we're, cool. that we're working on together. So. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. How much, how much ahead have you plotted? So if you're already talking about the second uh, series, you're obviously um, considering, you know, in terms of the next steps. Um, yeah, yeah. The first volume, whenever, whenever I'm um, pitching or contemplating a series, um, I, I try and think of it in terms of a movie or a story that has a definitive beginning, middle, and end to it. Right. Um, uh, because... Uh, you know, to me, I, I want to have that satisfying arc for the reader. Um, right. And uh, uh, so this one is no different. I had sort of the entire series generally plotted out from the time that I pitched it. Um, and all of that was included in the pitch. Um, and uh, so that Aston could see as they were reading it that there was what was hopefully, uh, you know, a satisfying conclusion and a satisfying story overall for the reader. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, so, so yeah, this one, the first volume, we knew where we were going from the start. Um, now, actually, you know, fleshing that out and making it into individual issues it is, uh, you know, another hurdle that we had to get through. But, um, right, right. Um, you know, uh, I think that everyone at Aspen has been really, really thrilled with how each issue has been coming out, mm-hmm. both visually and, uh, and in terms of the, uh, the scripts. And so uh, I think that everyone is, is interested and excited in continuing with Idolize, which is, which is great and which I'm thrilled about. Um, we just need to make sure that uh, the readers engage with it also and that they're interested in supporting uh, a second volume. Right. And uh, Idolize comes out June... What? June 27th is the first issue. June 27th? Yep. Excellent. Um, so it comes out June 27th. How far ahead are you in terms of, of like completion? I mean, have you completed the whole series on your end? Um, just, just about. I have. I have about an issue and a half left to write. Oh, okay. Okay. Yep. And so now, go ahead. Way ahead in the scripting, and uh, the art is uh, is not too far behind. Oh, good. Good. Yeah. Um, now, in terms of idolized, uh, what kind of competitions do superheroes do? <laughs> um, good question. So um, it is everything from um, you know battles against uh, things like robots or what uh-huh. have you to um, to sort of danger room type simulations right. where they're fighting using holograms um, to uh, the final battle for the top ten where they're or for the last standing members of the top ten at the end where they're battling against each other. Right. Um, Although, frankly, you know, there's not that much of the series that actually centers around the show and the competition. Um, you know, a lot of it is the story of our protagonist, uh, whose name is Jewel, J-O-U-L-E. Um, 
because she can manipulate energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, sort of the journey that she goes through both before and after the show. Um, because, you know, a part of, uh, you know, what I was getting at before was that she went on this show as a means towards an end. And that end is something that she would achieve by winning the show and, and by what could happen after that. And so a lot of the story um, really, really follows on what happens after the, the TV series is completed. Oh, I um, so it's not, it's not just a series about a TV show. It's a series about a, a, a girl and, and what she goes through over the course of learning and, and, and growing through this experience. Um, and, uh, and the show itself is, is just a piece of the background. Right, right. And how much will you be showing uh, in terms of uh, the other characters involved in the show? Will they have, uh, I don't want to say spinoffs, but will they have their own backstory? Will we get to know them a lot? Or is it pretty much focused on, on Jewel and her story, at least for this uh, sort of arc, this initial uh, series? Yeah, so it's, it starts off in the first few issues, uh-huh. very focused on Jewel. Um, by the time we get into issues uh, three, four, and five, it, the the other members of the top ten mm-hmm. uh, become become much larger players in the story, and uh, and I'm really enjoying writing those other characters. They are some of them are just hysterical, and uh, and I, they're really fun, and they they bring um, they bring a lot of other aspects to the story that uh, that Jewel and, and her sort of darker persona doesn't really bring. And uh, so I think I think readers are really going to dig a lot of them, and even even though we don't really get to spend a lot of time with them until we get to issue number three, mm-hmm. um, some of them before that, but most of them we don't really we don't really spend a lot of time with until number three. But um, every issue of Idolized is going to have a lot of backup material uh, that really fleshes out the world. So um, things like uh, fake magazine articles. Um, right. And uh, you know emails and um, uh, the forms that they fill out at the auditions, um, the the forms that the judges fill out when they're judging the the competitions, um, and pages from a, uh, a a dissertation about the cultural zeitgeist of the superhero idol TV show. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are all things that will flesh out the world and the characters. Mm-hmm. So. You know, between the the stories themselves, the actual you know uh, sequential pages of the story, right. and these backup materials, um, the readers are really going to get to know all the members of the top ten um, well before this volume one is finished. Very cool. Um, it's always good, I think, when you have a a, a full world, um, even if you don't spend a lot of time on specific characters. I always find it more interesting when you know that the, the author, that the creators have thought about it. And so that their motivations aren't random. The stories aren't random coming to them on the spur of the moment, but it's all well thought out. It's a whole world that you're joining and reading as opposed to uh, just a, sort of a thread that they've kind of come up with a plot. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, if you look on uh, the idolized Facebook page, um, you know, back towards the beginning of the timeline, we had a uh, sort of an online competition mm. where Mocha had been sending us three different uh, costume design concepts for each character, for each member of the top ten. And we said, you know, instead of us looking at these and deciding which costume design uh, we like best for each character, mm-hmm. um, in keeping with sort of the concept of the series, why don't we let the audience vote? And so we put up a full description of each character mm. you know, months and months ago. Uh, and so the the, uh, the readers could look at that, read about who this character is and, and what their backstory is, and then vote on which of the three different looks they liked for each of the characters. And uh, and so we ended up allowing the, the, the readers to be the ones who actually chose what our characters are, are looking like. Um, but the reason why I go off on that tangent is because of the fact that yeah we had to have these characters really thought out and uh, and and have full backstories for them um, you know months and months before we had even uh, really launched into writing and uh, and and having the issues drawn. Sure. Now without giving up too much details, and this is just sort of a side question, if uh, uh, or I should say when 
um, idolized does extremely well. Um, which which is the next character that if there was if for example uh, you know the guys at Aspen uh, had come to you and said hey okay we want to spin this off which character do you mm-hmm. think would be the most likely to spin off and and have another story to be told? Uh, well, good question. Um, one of the things that we're actually thinking about is uh-huh. bridging the two volumes by doing a 10 separate one shots, one about each of the characters. Oh, gotcha. And, uh, and so they would, if that, if we were able to follow through on that scenario, mm-hmm. um, and have those 10 individual stories that all tie in together and lead into the next volume, right. um, then we would all get their, their chance. Right. Right. Um, if it was just going to be a few of them, um, there is a character called Hocus, mm-hmm. who is um, who's really kind of a smartass, and uh, and I think that uh, that folks are really going to gravitate towards him. Um, uh, there is a character called uh, the Present, mm-hmm. who is um, uh, sort of a, um, a a cruel girl. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I think that, uh, you know, she comes across as fairly one note when you look at her here, but I think that, uh, that she'll be, um, she'll be an interesting character to flesh out and understand why she's actually behaving that way. Right, right. Um, there is a, uh, sort of pacifistic She-Hulk type character, mm-hmm. um, who is all for using her strength to, um, to help, to rescue, to save the day, mm-hmm. but not for anything that is um, violent or that hurts another person, even if they, they happen to be a supervillain. Right. And so uh, I think it would be interesting, and I think that, that it would be interesting for readers to be able to see what happens when she's put in a situation where she doesn't have a choice. Right, right. Sort of the um, reluctant hero. Exactly. Yeah. And then there's a character, there's a character named Regenerate, who um, I think that uh, the readers will really dig, uh, simply because he has a very interesting and different worldview. Um, <laughs> And uh, he is uh, a little bit off his rocker, um, <laughs> and uh, and uh, and so I think that folks will be interested in him as well. Mm-hmm. And how Plus do you... our, our, main, our main villain? I, you know, I don't know that we would necessarily spin off the villain, right? But um, I think that folks will totally dig him because um, uh, his whole thing is that he started off as an activist against. Uh, big corporate interests and their influence on the government, mm-hmm. um, and the way that uh, that big corporations arguably have been able to really sort of take things over uh, sure. in our country, possibly to the detriment of of our health and welfare. Sure. And uh, he um, he wasn't getting as far as he wanted to being a peaceful activist, and so he decided to use his powers um, to further his goals of, uh, of overthrowing large corporations and, uh, and sort of trying to return America to a nation by the people and, and for the people and of the people instead of by the corporations and for the corporations and of the corporations. Mm-hmm. And he starts doing it in ways that are, are just highly destructive and that run him very much, him and his followers very much afoul of the law. And um, so I think that uh, that folks might be torn uh, if they agree with his goals, as I, as I think a lot of folks probably do, um, uh, you know, whether they love him or hate him, you know, whether right. his ends justify the means to them. So. Right. And I always find those villains more interesting anyway, those that it's not black or white. There's that sort of gray in between that obviously what they're doing uh, in terms of, of whether it's violence or crime uh, is obviously a bad thing, uh, obviously evil in that sense, but their motives may not be wholly bad or evil. They may actually have good intentions, but just the way in which they're going about it is, is, is bad. So I find those villains actually much more interesting. Um, That's exactly right. Yeah. I'm, I'm far more interested in the villain who's sort of a Robin Hood to some extent. Right. than, Than a villain who's just, you know, out for world domination. Right. Or crazy or any number of, of, of things. They're, they're not redeemable, in other words. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Now, how do you come up with your names, character names? Um, uh, to some extent, it's just sitting down and, and brainstorming and poking around on the internet or right. thesaurus.com or, or things of that nature. 
Um, and I, I frankly am not that great with names. Hmm. Um, the character names in this one are all mine, but um, I don't think I've ever been able to successfully come up with the name of a series. Um, <laughs> Meltdown, like I said, I was going to call Last Days of the Flare, and I think it was Eric Larson at Image who suggested changing it to Meltdown. Right. Um, Idolized was going to be called Superhero Idol, and it was uh, Frank, the, the president of Aspen Comics, who said, uh, let's just call it Idolized. Right. So uh, I'm, I'm sort of, uh, you know, on my on my own creator own series. I'm 0 for two on the uh, on the series title and come, being able to come up with names. Right. But uh, but the, the characters, yeah, I did come up with, and it was like I said, it was really just brainstorming and, and poking around, and, and um, there, there was no science or magic to it. So on the top ten list of of uh, series title creators, name creators, you would not be on that list. Is what you're telling me. I wouldn't even. I wouldn't even on the top hundred. <laughs> uh, fair enough. Um, now, just a side question. I I don't know. Um, well, I guess being uh, an entertainment attorney, but as well as being a creator, uh, what are the legalities of names? In other words, uh, doing a trademark name search, and 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 what about names like Thor, which is obviously not proprietary to Marvel, and yet I'm sure they have some sort of trademark on the mighty Thor. Um, can you tell me maybe just a little bit for, for other creators uh, how to, to research, if at all, the legalities of specific names of characters? Yeah, so first of all, I would say don't take legal advice from me on this podcast. Sure. Um, Your, like, the first legal advice is do not – this is not any sort of legal consultation. This is just sort exactly. of random chit-chat. Right. But what I, what I would say is that um, you know the basic underpinnings of trademark law – um, to some extent, it, it is about consumer confusion and whether um, what you're putting out in the marketplace may create confusion as to the origin of the product and whether it comes from, you know, another party who has already been using that uh, that trademark within mm-hmm. the stream of commerce. And um, and so, you know, uh, it's always best, obviously, to steer clear of things that uh, that other parties have been using in commerce. Mm-hmm. Um, can't for some reason, then it becomes a question of whether you're going to create consumer confusion. Right. Uh, it, 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 it's certainly much more complex than that, um, which is why you know you, you certainly shouldn't um, you know just go off based on what I've just said and, and sure. you're okay or not okay. Um, but that that's that's sort of where it begins. Mm-hmm. And um, so you know with Meltdown, for instance, there's been a Marvel series called Havoc and Wolverine Meltdown. But I, I think it would be pretty clear to anyone looking that, that this meltdown is a very different product from a different publisher and, um, you know, different characters and not called Havoc and Wolverine meltdown, just called right. meltdown. I, 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 I think that's probably why Image was comfortable with proceeding with it with that name. Right, right. Um, now, um Meltdown and Idolized are both creator-owned books, but you've also done work on, on Fathom. Um, and can you tell me a little bit about what it's like working on a creator-owned book versus, you know, a property owned by another company or other people? Yeah, uh, you know, I, I think that one of the one of the biggest differences is that you don't have to worry about continuity sure. when you're working on a creator-owned book. Right. You know, with Fathom, with Fathom, there was you know there were there were ten or twelve years of backstory, I think twelve years of backstory that everything really had to fit in with. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially because I was writing a series that was really a prequel to the main Fathom series. Um, and so much of what was happening had been at least alluded to before. Um, mm. I had to, you know, I had to be very careful to actually make it fit within that continuity. And uh, so there was so, there, there was so much back and forth with, uh, with Frank and Peter and, and Vince at Aspen to make sure that we got every aspect of it correct and so many changes that we had to go through before uh, before we really felt that we had tied in properly with the existing continuity. Whereas with a uh, with a meltdown or an idolized, um, you know, I have the freedom to create the world the way that I see it mm-hmm. and uh, the way that I think will make, you know, the most satisfying story for the reader, um, you know, without having to worry about what's come before. Right, right. Now, working on a book like Fathom with a long history um, and and creating a prequel for it, do you have to go through and, or had you already gone through and read every issue 
um, of the character, or is did they give you basically the information you needed, they felt you needed based on a plot you kind of uh, discuss, uh, and kind of run from that and make uh, changes as you go? Um, so uh, both. Okay. Um, I I, re I read the series beforehand mm -hmm. before mm -hmm. I ever picked the series. Okay. Um, you know, I went back and read every issue of Fathom when we first started talking about the possibility of me working on it. Sure. Because I wanted to be able to come to them with sort of an educated concept as right, to what right. I thought would would be a story that I'd want to tell. Um, and uh, and then after I did that, and after we locked in on what the story would be, and I had to actually sit down and start writing this thing. Um, I went back and, and read it all again afterwards mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and picked up on a lot of other little subtle things that I was able to use in the series um, thanks to that second reading. Um, and then beyond that, they also gave me you know, primers on, on what they were thinking or what they knew Mike was thinking when he originally wrote this scene or, or that section or what have you. Right. Um, so it was really sort of a, a collective process. Um, and one of, the, one of the coolest things for me, you know, even though, you know, I don't want to sound like it's, it's all negative about working with continuity. Oh, no. Um, one of the coolest things for me about, about the, that project was in the final issue of, uh, of Fathom Blue Descent, the, mm -hmm. the miniseries that I did, mm -hmm. um, we have scenes that are actually scenes that Mike Turner drew when, when he was doing volume one of Fathom and that he wrote and it was showing from another angle, essentially, for oh, you know, focusing on different characters in that same sequence. And so being able to write a story that intersects with the story that Mike originally told mm -hmm. was just unbelievably cool for me. Right. I, you know, a fan of, of him and his work. Um, you know, really being able to work on that series at all and to, to have Aspen entrust me with you know, fleshing out the legacy of the, 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 the characters and the story that Mike created was right. just an awesome honor for me. So, right, right. No, absolutely. It's their flagship. You know, it's, it's, yeah, exactly. it, yeah absolutely. Um, now, talking about Aspen, uh, you did meltdown over at Image. Why did you bring Idolize to Aspen, and, and how has it been sort of working and developing the book with those guys and, 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 in terms of and, and how much editorial support and do you get from them? Sure. A bunch so, of different um, questions. Yeah, it, it, it is. I'll try and tackle them all. Okay. Um, you know, uh, after Meltdown, actually, I should back up even before that. So okay. when I was looking for an artist for Meltdown, mm -hmm. I had um, been seen Micah Gannell's work uh, when he was in the uh, comic book resources. Uh, uh, um, uh, I forget what they call it, um, comic book idol contest. Mm -hmm. I think that's what it was, where they would have aspiring artists, you know, they would pick their 10 favorites and they would compete with different challenges every few days. Right. And Michael was in that very first um, season, if you will, of comic book idol. And uh, I saw his work and really loved it and contacted him. And um, he really loved the pitch for Meltdown and really wanted to work on it. But it turns out that he had just gotten this internship at this company called Aspen Comics. Mm. And he was going to be able to work with Michael Turner and learn from him. And he didn't think that he would be able to do Meltdown at the same time he was doing that internship. It, was, it would just be too much. Right. And um, so we said, you know what, totally understand. Let's figure out a way one day in the future we can work together. And uh, so flash forward a couple of years and Meltdown has come out. And uh, I went to the first, uh, I think it was Long Beach Comic Con. And I was walking past the, uh, the Aspen booth. I saw Micah there. And he introduced me to Vince, the editor-in-chief. And mm -hmm. Vince said, oh, yeah, Meltdown, I love that. We would love to be able to work with you. And uh, so we started talking about different projects that we could work together on. And I just really liked that group of people. I, I, liked, I liked them individually. I liked the fact that, uh, and respected the fact that they were working so hard to carry on Mike's legacy. Yeah, they're great guys. Um, after he had passed away, and um, and uh, you know, I, I just really felt that they were great people and straight shooters, and right. and I wanted to be a part of helping them to, to build that company in any way that I could and to keep it going. And um, so I worked on a few books with them. I worked on a, a one shot called Ember with mm -hmm. uh, the, the villainess from from uh, Shrugged, 
and we had a great time working on that together. I worked on Blue Descent. We really enjoyed that together. And so um, uh, they asked me if, you know, as I wanted to roll out a, a bunch of new creator-owned books, whether I would consider bringing them to uh, to Aspen. And I said, sure. And um, and it's been a great partnership. Um, they are they're really astute. Um, they are they have a lot of, of great suggestions. Um, and you know, comics are are very collaborative art form at, at, at their best. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, it takes a writer and an artist. Um, and so I, I always welcome the sort of the collaboration and the input. And um, and their suggestions have been great, and it's only made the book better. So right. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. No. The- yeah, he, I think you that. answered all the questions. Absolutely. Uh, that was impressive. Um, Thank you. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, you did a great job there. Um, I, I don't, I, as you were t- asking, answering the questions, I, I, I had a hard time remembering. Oh, yeah, I did ask that third question on it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but those Aspen guys are great. Um, and uh, so I also like to ask writers, do you have any sort of specific tips or advice for new and aspiring comic creators? Because I believe that's that's a lot of of who listens to these podcasts and who visits our website? Yeah, uh, a few of them, some of which we've already touched on a little bit. Sure. Um, at, at least um, to some extent. Um, one thing that I would say is um, to really think about your career in terms of relationships. Mm-hmm. And I, I say not just with respect to comics, but um, but with respect to, to any career. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the reason why I have the day job that I have is because uh, a friend of mine um, recommended me for it. The reason why I have my relationship with Aspen is because I, uh, because Micah, you know, introduced me to Vince. Mm-hmm. It's getting getting um, opportunities in any industry is really uh, about developing relationships as much as or more than it is about. Uh, having the right things on your resume, right. and um, and so you know, uh, I, I don't have you know again any any magic bullet for it, but it really is just something that that you really ought to think about. And, and to that end, make sure that that once you have developed a relationship, that you don't screw it up by delivering things way past deadlines or being unprofessional or, or what have you. Right. Um, right. And, and I'm not uh, I by no means mean to imply that I think that I'm the most professional person in the world is that I, that I always hit the deadlines. Um, <laughs> you know, I, um, I'm not trying to hold myself out as any kind of example whatsoever. Um, but in an ideal world, I would be able to um, always be as professional as I could. Um, and, I, and, you know, one thing that you see in this industry quite a bit is people who, um, who flake out, quite frankly, sure. who say that, they, say that they're going to do something, they're going to, you know, deliver a piece of art or, you know, write a script or, or what have you, um, and then don't end up delivering on it. And then all that hard work that you put into getting the opportunity sort of disappears because right. people don't want to work with you anymore. They don't trust you. Sure. Um, uh, I would also say be patient. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with a lot of publishers, particularly smaller publishers, um, they're just overloaded. Uh, they, they don't have enough bodies to do all the work that needs to be done to put out the great books that they do. And, um, and so you, you have to sort of understand that and keep that in mind. Right. Um, uh, and then in terms of, you know, more of the nuts and bolts, I, mm-hmm. I would say, you know, one of the things I'd said before was that I always like to have the entire story plotted out and mm-hmm. to know where I'm going and, and to have, have given some thought to who these characters are and what's really motivating them. Right. And, um, and I think that's important. I mean, even if you're go- even if you're writing an ongoing book, you know, think about it in terms of individual stories um, with a beginning, a middle, and an end. Uh, that's going to be a satisfying journey for the reader. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that will get you a long way. The other thing that that, um, that I always try to do, and, and you know, hopefully I succeed, maybe not, but uh, is to create characters that, that people can identify with and right. care about and to, and to actually try and put the reader into the head of that character to some extent so that they do care about them. Because honestly, you know, if you're reading a comic book, it can be great action and adventure and excitement and what have you. 
But if you don't care about the characters and right. you're not drawn into their story and they don't have a compelling need for what they're going through and the stakes aren't high for them, then, I don't know, for me, I don't care. And I, I've dropped a lot of comics over the years just because even though the art may be great or, you know, it may be, there may be really interesting um, ideas in the book, um, I, I just don't end up getting drawn into those characters. And, um, and so the more you can create well-rounded, fleshed-out characters that people are actually going to care about and want to see what happens to, um, the better off you'll be. Right. Good advice. Um, yeah, no, it, it's it's going to be I'm sure helpful, especially. <clears throat> excuse me, because um, I think a lot of of comic creators, aspiring comic creators, have ideas for characters, and they then, which they've probably spent their since childhood developing ideas of characters and creating all these cool effects, costumes, and things, and then the plots seem to be kind of thrown together. Like just insert these characters in, in plots you've heard or seen and, and just kind of run with it that way. There's a villain attacking, you know, put in my cool characters and that's a story. And it's, it's, it's so much more than that. I think when you bring uh, again, a whole sort of uh, story to it. And I think that's sort of what a lot of these younger guys, a lot of the new aspiring creators sort of lack that I've seen. Yeah. To me, it's not about um, telling a cool story. It's about telling an engaging story sure. that will actually that will actually affect your reader. Absolutely. I mean, I, whenever I'm whenever I'm working on something, one of the core questions I ask myself is, what am I trying to say here? What's the point that I want to get across? Mm-hmm. Um, what's what's the message here? Um, and then how can I how can I develop a character that will that will help to get that message across? Right. Um, and um, you know, if you're not giving it that, that level of thought and that level of, of, of depth, then, you know, sort of what's the point of doing it? Right. You know, right. just seeing your name on a comic, that's great and all, but, um, <laughs> but I, would, I would think that, you know, if you want to write, if it's truly something that's important to you, it's because you have something to say. Right. So, so don't lose that, you know, don't lose that in getting caught up in just doing what's cool or what's, you know, hot at that moment or you know, just trying to do big action sequences, um, you know, remember why it is that you wanted to write to begin with and, and, you know, use your voice and say the things that you want to say through your stories. Right, right. What is the old saying? Uh, say something not because you have to say something, but because you have something to say. Exactly. That's exactly right. Um, cool. Uh, so lastly, the last section, we actually do a little thing called rapid fire. We ask you six questions. They're either or, and they're sort of tailored for you. Okay. Um, and I know you're from Miami. So Miami uh-huh. heat or Miami dolphins. Ooh, that's tough. Um, you know, I, I've been a dolphin fan for longer just because they've existed for longer. So mm-hmm. I, I think, I, I think I would have to say dolphins, but man, that, that is a tough question to ask because, you know, I am a, a devoted fan to both of them. Right, especially with the Heat doing as well as they are and the Dolphins not doing as well. <laughs> exactly. Um, but, you know, I, I was sitting in the stands back in the days of Zonka and Greasy um, and uh, and Marino when he first started. And, sure. Um, I got to go to, to so many games that are sort of legendary, um, whether it's that game against the Chargers in, in the playoffs that went into – double overtime or, you know, the Dolphins against the Bears on Monday Night Football in 85 when we stopped their perfect season. But, you know, it's hard for me to, uh, to, 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 to go with another team over the Dolphins, no matter what they may be doing now. Right. Not a Fairweather fan. I like that. It's good. Yep. Um, better TV show, American Idol or The X Factor? Uh, I got to go with American Idol, I think. Um, if only because I only saw one or two episodes of the X Factor, so I don't really know. <laughs> um, better Idol champ, Kelly Clarkson or Carrie Underwood? Uh, I'm, uh, I tend to gravitate towards um, towards rock and pop a little bit more than country, mm-hmm. so I'd have to go with Kelly Clarkson. Cool. Um, you're a lawyer. Better film, To yeah. Kill a Mockingbird or Twelve Angry Men? Hmm. They're both classics. Yeah. Um, 
But I would probably go with uh, I would probably go with choice C and go with a few good men. Oh, cool! Very cool. I love Aaron Sorkin. Great film. He, he is just the absolute greatest. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You threw me for a curveball there. Yeah, what can I tell you? <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but you know, part of it is because again, I think a few good men is is such a character driven film, and you sure. get drawn into into the journey of uh, Tom Cruise's character and Demi Moore's character from the beginning. Um, and um, and Sorkin is just amazing at creating characters that have um, compelling storylines. So yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, now uh, this is sort of in honor of Meltdown. Better hot sauce, Tabasco or sriracha? Mm, I'm going to go sriracha. Cool. And lastly, better skiing, Vail or Aspen? <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, having grown up in Miami, the only skiing that I did was water skiing. Right. Um, but, um, you know, simply because of uh, the fact that Idolize is being published by Aspen, mm. how can I not say Aspen? <laughs> that is true. That is true. Yep. Uh, well, that's all the time we have for now. Thanks again, David, uh, for joining me today. And uh, uh, check out David's website and blog at davidbschwartz.net. And you can also follow him on Twitter at David B. Schwartz. Uh, and don't forget to check out the Idolized Facebook page, um, facebook.com forward slash Idolized Comic. Uh, and you can keep up to date on all on Idolized and all your favorite Aspen books at aspencomics.com. And you can find us at scriptsandscribes.com. And we're also on iTunes now, so please subscribe. And if you have any questions about the craft or business of writing, you can send us an email to ask at scriptsandscribes.com or tweet us at scriptscribe. And thanks for listening. 